worship you, Jesus. Tonight we are going to continue into our missions focus. You can be seated and we're going to go in in a little bit different route than I normally would into missions tonight. But I want us just to pray over this time. Because I believe that God is not looking just for a peculiar people, but a people who are consecrated. Amen. And we need to be consecrated to the Lord throughout every season. That as Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And that's what my prayer is tonight, that this message, is, this message it stirs us up to a place where we are sent both local and global. Pastor has said the culture of our church is to be a church from local to global. Every generation, of every ethnicity, of every walk of life, of every background, because that's what heaven looks like, right? That's the desire of heaven. And so, Father, we just ask that tonight you would work in our hearts, work in our lives. God, as we look at the mission at hand, so many times, Father, we come looking to be filled. But, Father, may our eyes, may they be lifted up to the harvest fields tonight to a world that is hurting, a world that is broken, a world that is in need of you. And may we know that you have chosen us for such a time as this. You have wired us for the complexity of the hour. You have built us for the complexity of the hour. So Father, may your word shape our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. The best way to start missions focus to me is through stories. And I've got a ton of stories um, from so many different experiences and missions. I served on staff as our missions director for probably um, eight years, seven, eight years. And um, I have some stories that are harrowing um, where I thought I was going to die or somebody around me was going to die to some that were inspiring. And missions, when done right, requires a lot of faith and a good measure of crazy. Amen? It's kind of like parenting. That good parenting is a lot of love, a lot of discipline, and a lot of crazy. When you instill the fear of God in your child and they look at you and they think, I don't know if they're going to kill me right now or when we get home tonight. But as mama said many times, I brought you into this world and I sure will take you out of it, right? We gotta have a good measure of crazy within our lives, especially when it comes to the mission at hand. And one of my most memorable trips and missions, adventures has been in one of the most unreached areas of the world that I have been in as well. Our team going and serving in this community literally opened the door to an unreached people group, to a people who had never heard the gospel before. In May of 2013, my wife and I were married and um, it was a crazy ride the next six to eight months. And um, two months after we got married, we were on a plane headed to Southeast Asia. And we went to a community that was filled with some extremists. And this community just to give you a quick snapshot of it, had recently burned down a Christian organization that was serving on the island. That's where we went two months after we got married. I didn't know if it was gonna be a long marriage, but it was gonna be an adventurous marriage, right? And so we get into this island and the trip was planned during the middle of the Islamic holy month, 
Ramadan, and we ministered there for about 10 days. And in Ramadan, you're not able to drink all day long, no water. And we're in Southeast Asia, and the heat is sweltering, and the humidity is sweltering as well. And so you're to fast all day to the Jew become a Jew, right? To the Gentile, become a Gentile. To the Greek, become a Greek. And so you're coming in, and even though we don't observe their religion, we're trying not to put stumbling blocks in front of the, the people that we are working with. And so in some weeks, Pastor mentioned, we were, or in some of the days, we were working in a Hindu temple, and some days beside mosque and around the mosque, and it had been an incredible week of doing ministry through the form of a medical clinic, building relationship with the local leaders, caring for the sick. And at the end of the week, we were invited to a dinner in with the imams and the leading Muslim clerics and community leaders. Um, we were invited to sit around just in a circle and, and eat together around a common table. I heard one missionary say that the gospel, it doesn't need a pulpit, it just needs a table a common table that we can sit amongst with one another. And during this dinner, the Muslim clerics and imam of the village made an official invitation to our team to have people move to their community to take care of their families and medical needs. And that was the goal. That was the unwritten goal that we had going into the trip. And so one of the families that were a part of the missionaries that we were or the mission team that we are working with in this country, they were already planned and ready to, to move. So they said yes and moved into this community in the summer of 2013. Fast forward six years later in 2018, 2019, um, there was a massive earthquake that had flattened this island and specifically the community that we had worked in. We were sent some pictures and just complete and total devastation. The team members that as a result of our trip had moved there became instrumental in disaster relief as well as the rebuild of the community. They were there and able to coordinate with Convoy of Hope and many other organizations to come in and to rebuild and to bring disaster relief and to bring hope to a people who were completely hopeless. Since then, this missionary team that we are working with, they've been able to launch a school where they are in a Christian environment. This is in a community that had recently burned down the Christian organization, but now the missionaries that we were working with had opened up a school for an aftercare center, and they were able to teach the gospel. They had been able to establish a church where the community members are coming to, their lives are being saved, changed, and transformed, all because 13 people from Evangel Temple said yes, and they were willing to go to an extremist community amongst the far reaches of the earth and share the gospel Indeed, not necessarily in word. We were all able to go. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, is we got to go. 43% of our world who have never heard we have to go to those who need salvation. It's not the healthy Jesus said who need a doctor, it's the sick. Luke chapter five, verse 27, if you'll look to the screen with me tonight, says after this, everybody say after this. He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi, also called Matthew, rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes 
grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The first two words of this passage are after this. Before this, in the preceding parts of this scripture, Jesus had been preaching, ministering, and healing all around the Galilee before this moment in time. His ministry being marked by incredible signs and wonders, unclean spirits being cast out, massive catches of fish, people being cleansed of leprosy, and paralytics being restored to full mobility. And so Jesus is having an incredible impact in the areas that he is working. So at this point, Jesus had built quite a reputation. And it wasn't his goal to build a reputation, right? His ministry is gaining a great following and a bunch of haters as well. And people are amazed at the extraordinary things that are transpiring. And Luke writes in in this moment after this, all these things preceding this, he says after this. What Luke is doing is setting this passage apart. I want you to watch this. No miracle transpires in the passage that is to follow. But we, what Jesus does and what Jesus says is significant. Watch what Luke says about Jesus. He says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. After all of the great things Jesus had done, this seems subliminal. Doesn't seem like a great thing, doesn't seem like a great deed that would prove the sovereignty of Almighty God on earth, but he goes and he sees a tax collector. Notice, it's not April 15th, and Jesus is still going to H&R Block, right? Jesus is at this point in his ministry a celebrity, and celebrities are typically pretty careful about the reputation that precedes them, and Jesus makes a PR move in Israel that would have been disastrous. Everybody would have gone on their Instagram and clicked unfollow at this moment because he went to a tax collector. Tax collectors were not highly esteemed by anybody. But Jesus goes to him anyways. See, Jesus didn't let success go to his head and keep him from associating with certain groups of people. Right? He didn't allow success to find who he would minister to. Too many people, they let, as one pastor said, success go to their head or failure go to their heart. And if we are going to have impact, we cannot allow success to go to our head or failure to go into our heart. Jesus didn't allow what he did to limit him from who he would engage. I'm going to say that again. Jesus did not allow all of the great things that he did limit him from the people that he would engage. It didn't matter if he was the star quarterback. It didn't matter if he was number one on the billboards. It didn't matter if he was the most successful businessman. Jesus, who had reputation, it says made himself of no reputation and humbled himself to the form of a servant. Too many times we think, 
what will people think of me? I'm kind of a, a big deal and I've got a reputation to uphold and we let pride get in the way, but pride does not make it anywhere in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus said he saw the prideful one cast down like lightning from heaven. Pride has no place in the kingdom. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't allow all the great things he did keep him from who he would engage. Jesus walked in humility, and no matter how big his reputation got, he chose to get on the level of the sinner. I want you to say it with me. Say, after this. John the Baptist was another one who was humble. He was the first prophet in 400 years. And all of Israel, the scripture records, is going out to see him. But not only Israel, even the occupying forces inside of Israel. The Roman soldiers are going to John the Baptist. And their lives are being changed and transformed. But watch what John's mentality is. John says, after me comes someone who is so much greater than I. I'm not even worthy to touch his truth shoestrings. May he increase and may I decrease. John had a reputation too, but he didn't allow what he did to keep him from who he would engage. He could do things up here, but he could engage people way down here. It did not matter what he did. See, I don't know your title. I don't know what's in your bank account. I don't know the professional letters that might come after your last name. But let me tell you what I do know. Jesus Christ did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. And irregardless of the amazing things that he did, he stooped down to save a wretch like me. He stooped down to save a wretch like me. In spite of my brokenness, in spite of my failures, he came and he took time to save me. He wasn't too important. Jesus did not allow an infatuation with his gifting to keep him from his purpose. Jesus did not allow an infatuation with all of the things that he was good at to keep him from what he was purposed for. Too many times we get caught up in the things that we are good at and we invest so much energy in what we're good at that we miss out on what we are purpose for. Or maybe it's on the other side of the spectrum that we get caught up in all of the things that we're not good at. And all we can see is the failures that we've come through in life. And it derails us off of our path of what we are purpose for. Jesus did not get infatuated with his giftings or anything that he could have or potentially lacked. He stayed on course on what he was purpose for. Jesus, after this, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. I love that Luke says he went out. He went out. He was on mission, and he stayed on mission. He walked with purpose. It says he went out. We must live missional lives, and this means making plans to go out to see somebody that is lost. A farmer does not wait for the harvest to come to him, right? A harvest, uh, a farmer does not wait for the sheaves to be brought in to him. He goes out 
and gathers it. We cannot wait for the harvest to come to us and remain in a silo. No, the only reason wheat gets into a silo is because somebody goes out and actually works in the field, gathers in the crop, and then brings it back to the silo. We've got to get out and get after it as the church, as Jesus went out to a tax collector named Levi. Levi was despised. Levi was rejected. Tax collectors were known for their corruption and for their greed. Tax collectors were those who had betrayed. They weren't just viewed this way, but they had literally betrayed Jewish life. They worked for the Romans and padded their pockets off of the Jewish people. Nobody likes corrupt and greedy people, amen? If you're gonna steal from me, or rip me off, we're going to have a problem, right? I'm 100% saved, but I'm still working out my sanctification. Don't try and come and steal from me, amen? We don't like people that are corrupt. We don't like people that are, that are greedy. And this is who Levi is. And Jesus went to this guy, the one that was not liked. Rome didn't like him, but needed him. The Jewish people despised him. Their own families would disown them, but Jesus invites them. I'm going to say that again. Rome did not like them, but needed them. The Jewish people despised them. Their families would quite literally disown them, but Jesus looks at them and invites them to follow me. What Jesus spoke went right to the core of Levi. Two words, follow me. Follow me is an invitation to discipleship. See, it doesn't say that Jesus witnessed to him. It doesn't say that Jesus debated him. It doesn't say that he reasoned with him. It doesn't say he made him pray a three-part prayer. All Jesus said was, follow me. Salvation in two unconventional words. Jesus could have lectured him on his life choices. Jesus could have criticized him based upon his political allegiances to Rome. Jesus could have marginalized him based on who he had become. But Jesus looked past all of that and saw his need. He went straight to the core, spoke to the very thing that he lacked, and gave him an invitation to relationship by saying follow me see for all we know for all we see in this passage long before he believed Jesus let him belong long before he believed Jesus let him belong would we allow that within our Christian circles People that might not believe like us to still be welcomed amongst us so that as they belong with us, they might believe in the one who gave their all for him. This sanctification thing is a path, it's a journey. It doesn't always happen in one moment. In church, may we not make it over complicated. Remember what I said, the gospel is both inclusive and exclusive. Inclusive in that it is for everybody, but exclusive in that there is only one way. Jesus engaged the leper just as he engaged the tax collector. 
The leper had nothing. The tax collector had everything. Jesus did not discriminate in his ministry. And so many times you hear people that all they're passionate about and all that we should do ministry to is just one specific group of people. But I'm telling you to hear tonight that Jesus, he did both from the leper to the tax collector. Those who had not to those who had everything. Every single person had a need. And if Jesus can look into Levi, a tax collector, and bring transformation. Remember, Jesus was the one who said how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. But proof is in the scripture of a rich man named Zacchaeus. A rich man named Levi. A tax collector that Jesus woos in, brings in. May we not overcomplicate this. May we invite people who are different than us to walk along the path of life with us so that they may see the Jesus inside of us, that we may lead them out of spiritual poverty. Too many times we view Christianity as a DIY, that we come and present the gospel and say, all right, do it yourself, we'll be praying for you. And we send them on their way instead of allowing them to come into our circle and belong amongst us so that we can truly disciple them. It's not meant for us to share a scripture, pray a prayer, and then check out. We are supposed to check in and be amongst those who are lost. Marie's grandmother, who passed away earlier this year, she often took things that we would throw away. I can't tell you how many times we would finish a roll of paper towels in the house and We'd go throw the little, I don't even know what to call it, the tube of the, the core of the paper towel into the trash. And Marie's grandma would go over there, grab it out, and take it home with her. And it got to the point that we just couldn't throw anything away when we were around her. She was always watching out for the things that we would discard. And she would form them into works of art. Our refuse, our trash would become her and God often takes the refuse of this world and repurposes it into something beautiful. The people that we are so quick to discard, the people that we are so quick to write off, the people that we are so quick to throw away, God is saying, I want that one to repurpose. When we are shattered and broken into a million pieces, God quite literally has more to work with. See, Jesus took what was rejected, the tax collector, gave him identity, invited him into his community and gave him salvation by saying, follow me. Verse 28 says, and leaving everything. I love that. I'm not gonna speak on that, but it says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. As soon as Levi was saved, he was led straight to mission. Levi made a great feast and invited all of his buddies, invited all the rest of the tax collector mafia, right? They're the ones that could turn you over to the Romans if you didn't pay up and they could set their premium on top of what the Roman tax was and so quite literally they were the mafia, right? Before the Italians ever got it, they were the mafia. I guess Rome was Italian, so I don't know, something like that, you know? 
Um, Levi invites all of the people over. And what does Jesus do? Jesus goes and sits at this table filled with all of these sinners. The miracles that Jesus performed, they're a sure sign of his sovereignty, right? A sure sign of his power and his authority. But here Luke is saying, look at something else. Every time we see Jesus operate in power, every time we see Jesus operate in his might, every time we see Jesus heal a person, we're like, the son of God. That's why, all the miracles that he did. But Luke is saying, look at something else. Look at a five word, a five lettered word called grace. Because God's grace is just as much a mark of his sovereignty as his miracle working power for the spotless lamb of God to go into a den of sinners and begin to eat with them was unfathomable in Jewish culture. And so Luke is saying his grace is just as much a sign of his sovereignty as his miracle working power. How many of you are thankful that he looked down from heaven into our lives and overflowed with grace proving the sovereignty of himself? Oh, that we would allow the richness of God's grace to overflow in our lives to all of those who are broken around us. Church, who is at your table? Jesus got on the sinner's level and not for just a moment, but he reclined with them. It says he reclined at the table. See, you don't typically kick your feet back at a place that you're not family. You eat and you go. Not Jesus, though. He didn't do just to pass by. He didn't do just a, a God bless them and a quick prayer and say, I don't want to be associated with this, this bunch right here and go on. No, it says that he reclined at a table in a room full of people who were corrupt who were greedy, and who were in need of a Savior. When is the last time that you dined at a table and you kicked your feet back at a place where people are so in need of Jesus, in need of transformation, that you quite literally saturated yourself around people so that they could see the Jesus in you? Oh, that God would give us eyes that would look past the sin of people and into the need. The Pharisees and their scribes say, begin to grumble, verse 30 says that, his disciples saying, why? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And the Pharisees and their scribes grumble. How many of you know some grumbling folk? Floridians, right? <laughs> We are classic grumblers. If you didn't grumble about the weather over the last 24 hours, you're lying. Every single one of us in this room probably grumbled about the rainy, cold day that we had yesterday. If you have Florida on your driver's license, you are most likely a grumbler when it comes to the weather. We can never be pleased, especially about the weather or Gator football or Jaguar football or, hey, they finally got a W today and I've got a friend that's a Bills fan watching online right now, so finally... We all know grumbling folk, always pointing out the wrong, always criticizing what they disagree with. And notice the religious were concerned with who? Everybody say who. With who? 
he was associating himself with. Quite frankly, they hated Jesus. They were jealous of him and they disliked him so much they allowed him to live rent free in his head, in their head. Jealousy consumes you with the one that you hate. The religious, they were so consumed with Jesus because deep down they, they knew. Deep down the religious knew and all they could think is how is this man going to impact my life? And that's what grumbling people do. They always make it about themselves. There can be a million things going right, but let me tell you what's wrong, right? There can be people getting saved, people getting baptized, people being transformed, salvation and discipleship happening and outreach and mission flowing out. But if it doesn't fit their mold, if it doesn't fit what they thought it would look like or it should look like, if it doesn't fit tradition, if it makes them uncomfortable, they will be sure, they will be sure to tell you what is wrong with it. See, the religious frequently criticized Jesus' association with the unrighteous outcast. If we always conform to the narrative of the religious, we will never find ourselves among those who need Christ. Never. Remember, Jesus didn't turn the world upside down with the religious. It was with those who were deemed unclean and the degradation of society that Jesus used. Jesus said, those who are forgiven little, love little. But those who are forgiven much, love little. Much May we be a people who understand how much that we have been, give, been forgiven, the depths of how much forgiveness we have received, and may it drive us to mission. And Jesus answers his critics saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have not call, come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And if the worship team, if you would come back to the stage. Jesus answered his critics. It's not always a smart thing to do. Amen? Unless you're Jesus. It's not always a smart thing to answer our critics. Those who speak negative. Those who speak ill. Those who speak lies about your character, your reputation. Sometimes, unless you're Jesus, it's better just to take the high road and not to answer them. And Jesus at this point is very gracious to his critics. See, all the religious were pointing out what the sinners had done. But Jesus flips the script and he points out the who. Jesus didn't let what they had done stop him from who they were. Because the who had a name. The who had a name. Every sinner, regardless of their sin, regardless of how much it bothers you, regardless of how much it puts you off, regardless of how much that sin might be unpleasant and disagreeable to your life and to your family, every sinner has a name. His name was Levi. His name was Zacchaeus. Her name was Mary Magdalene, who Jesus cast out, the seven demons. Every single person had a name. The religious were caught up in the what. Jesus was focused on the who. Too often we let what they do stop us from even realizing that they have 
a name that Jesus knows and Jesus died for. Jesus gave himself for and Jesus says it's the healthy that have no need of a doctor. He looks at the religious and said, y'all good, y'all don't need Dr. Jesus, but these guys over here, the ones that are in their shame and their sin and their funk and their disgust, they are not good. Yeah, light doesn't need more light, but the darkness over here, they need the light of the world. And guess what? I am the light of the world that was sent into the darkness for the one with a name. Those who are sick, those who are broken, those are the ones for whom he came. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. But it has nothing to say to people who don't know they have done anything to repent of and don't feel they need any forgiveness. It's a scary place to be in. A place to think that we've done nothing to repent of, that we do not need forgiveness. And Jesus looks at those pointing the finger and says, I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. Church, whose table are you sitting at? Quite literally, the religious were sitting at one table, but Jesus wasn't there. Jesus wasn't at that table. The religious were at one table and Jesus was amongst the lost. I want to be at the table with Jesus and we cannot call the sinners we are not amongst. We cannot call the lost that we are not amongst. Jesus wasn't just among them, he was reclining with them. He wasn't just reclining with them, he was calling them to take up their identity, didn't take up all of their isms, says he called them to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Are you sitting amongst the lost? Are you on mission? Are you living a life locally to internationally that screams mission? We cannot stay in our silos and never venture out and expect change in a world. The harvest is plentiful and it is only ripe once. If we will be willing to share our lives, we, will, we cannot help but at that point share our faith. If we will share our lives with the lost, we cannot help but share our faith with the lost. Jesus is saying the world is full of sick and dying people and they need a doctor. 43% who have never even heard and they're dying of a terminal illness and they have no idea that there is even a solution to the illness that they are dying of. They need a doctor. They need you to go. Will you be willing to leave the healthy to go to the sick? I was at a conference a couple years ago where a world-renowned leadership teacher was sharing and teaching. And when he finished his session, pastor gets up at the event, 
and begins to celebrate this leadership teacher. And he called him something that I thought was pretty high accolade. In an auditorium full of probably 3,000 pastors streaming to several other locations with probably three to 5,000 more pastors, he looks at this leadership teacher and calls, her, calls him the greatest soul winner of the Christian faith. Not a pastor, not a prophet, not a teacher, not an evangelist, a leadership teacher. Every week, this man makes three to four appointments on his calendar where he intentionally meets with people that are not of the Christian faith to share his life with them and by so doing, share his faith. He intentionally puts an appointment on the calendar with him to go share life with him, to share his faith with him. That's mission. That's Jesus that after all the great things he had done, he went out to a tax collector named Levi. If you would stand with me tonight. Part of our calling as pastors is to stir it up. Stir it up. I love every message that we get blessed and filled with. But sometimes we just need to be We gotta get out. We gotta get out to a lost and dying world. Who's gonna be at your table this week? Who's gonna be at your table next week? As you're making your vacation plans for 2022, are you including a mission trip on your calendar so that you can have people that are unreached sitting at your table? that you can go out quite literally to see, to meet, to share your life and to share your faith with. That's what this is about, us living on the go. Who are you making plans with to share your faith with? We are responsible to this. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room. If you're here tonight, Maybe you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking of. Maybe you need to surrender your life to him. Maybe you are Levi. And you're the one that needs to repent, to turn to him. If that's you tonight, I want you to slip up your hand this evening. This evening. If that's you, come on. Any other hands? Amen. 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 If you slipped up your hand, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to grab the person beside you. I want you to grab their hand. I want you to grab their hand right quick. All of you. And I want you to grab them and I want you to get out to the aisle. Come on, out to the aisle. Come out to the aisle right now. There's several that just raised their hand. And I want you to begin to make your way to the front. And all of our altar team, if you would, begin to come to the front as well. And I want us to pray and to celebrate those like Levi that are coming home tonight. Are there any others that, have, that need Jesus in their life? To bring salvation, to bring grace, to bring mercy. Amen, amen. Any of our altar workers, y'all come down to the front. And I want you to just begin to pray. Begin to share with them. But for the rest of you that are sitting in the seats right now, 
2022 is coming. Whether we like it or not, it is coming. And if we need to do, if you need to do a better job at including sinners at your table, people that are lost, people that are hurting, people that are broken, I want you to get out of your seats and I want you to begin to come to the altar tonight and say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Here am I. Send me. If that's the cry of your heart tonight, a heart of surrender, come on, just get out of your, your seat right now. Come on, more coming, more coming. Just get out of your seats right now and come and let's pray a prayer of consecration, a prayer of dedication, a prayer of surrender of God. I'm a vessel to be used by you. I'm a vessel to be used for you, to make your name known in all the earth. Come on.